there's an opportunity here to talk about how the intersection of privilege and age and how age is not this concrete uh, determinant of what someone is capable of at that age. I think it very much depends on how they were brought up, the privilege of their situation, of whether they needed to grow up younger, you know, whether they need to be cooking breakfast at age 10, or whether they can be sitting there and counting all of their presents and asking for more presents. To all who come to this happy podcast, welcome. This is Spiritually Ever After, the place where Disney meets wellness and spirituality. I'm your host, Kitty Pakman, spiritual mentor, licensed therapist, and major Disney person. This is the place where the magic of spirituality, self-awareness, and personal development meets the magic of Disney. You are safe to be your full magical self here. Now let's dive in. Hello, welcome back. This is Spiritually Ever After. I'm your host, Kitty Pacman, and I am very, very excited to bring you today's episode about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Today we're going to be talking about the movie. My plan is to do a reread through the whole book series and then to do an episode or maybe a few episodes on the books. But for now, we are just going to focus on the movies um, because it's been a while since I read the books. And so it does not even feel like I can truly comment on. I don't even really remember exactly what had happened. And I think to do that, it deserves to be done with justice. And so there will be more Harry Potter content coming. There will be more episodes for each of the other movies, as well as some stuff on the book series. So Really what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring this to you now because for some reason people seem to think that the Harry Potter movies are holiday movies and I don't understand why. <laughs> and so I kind of felt compelled to do this episode and to look for reasons why people might feel they're holiday movies as well as just use it as an opportunity to speak about the movies. And so... I watched the, at least I know this first movie was available on Peacock. I think the whole series is, but I'm not sure. And when I went to go look at it, it says that it has an 81% rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes. It did have 82% fresh, and I need to double check on this because my eyes are not always the best. So it may not have been that, but that's what it looked like to me. And if so, that is crazy. I don't understand how anyone could think this is not a good movie, let alone 81% of people. Um, So... I guess it just goes to show that there are definitely still some haters, <laughs> whether it's people who were just originally not, you know, fans of the series or given everything that went on with J.K. Rowling over the last few years with coming out with all of these transphobic statements. Um, yeah, it seems like there's some people who don't like the Harry Potter movies. Well, anyway, <laughs> I know for me, even just starting the movie and the intro music coming on, I was like already dying. I like was just so, so excited. I could feel it in my body. And there was literally not even a character on the screen yet. Um, but this first movie starts out on Privet Drive. And so we see that sign and it looks just kind of like, you know, an everyday normal suburban neighborhood. And then we see Dumbledore. <laughs> and so right off the bat, there's magic in this first scene in just like, again, this like normal suburban neighborhood and you know, there's Dumbledore using his light putter outer thing, taking out all the lights. We see a, a cat turn into Professor McGonagall. 
right? Hagrid rides in on this magical flying motorcycle. And so while it may not be holiday magic in these movies, obviously magic is apparent right away and throughout the movies. And I think that for some people, the holidays are the only time of the year that they really lean into that sense of magic. And so that might be why some people consider these to be holiday movies. Again, for me, magic is an everyday thing. I am here for it at all times. Um, But I know that's not the case necessarily for everyone. So yeah, so we see Dumbledore and McGonagall and they're speaking, right, about Harry. And Dumbledore says, the rumors are all true, the good and the bad. And McGonagall's worried about, you know, Hagrid bringing Harry to uh, the Dursleys, leaving with the Dursleys, all of it. Um, but Dumbledore says, you know, I would trust Hagrid with my life. Like, and right from the start, we see um, just this dynamic between Dumbledore and Hagrid. And I think just everyone sort of loves Hagrid. Um, we then see McGonagall calling the Dursleys the worst sort of muggles imaginable, which I hadn't remembered that line, but is definitely very accurate. Um, they talk about Harry needing to grow up out of the spotlight until he's ready. And we see Hagrid crying. And again, Hagrid is just the sweetest, like one, in my opinion, one of the best characters in the series. And then we get that classic line from Dumbledore of it's not really goodbye after all, which we saw a lot when the actor who played Hagrid, uh, Robbie Coltrane, passed away in October. I know I saw a lot with that line. And again, just a lot of emotions around it because Hagrid is just such a central, you know, figure in the series. And to me, really represents this like safety and warmth and just like the embodiment of love but we'll talk more about Hagrid (laughs) throughout the episode um so we then see uh Harry falling asleep as a baby and then waking up as his 10 year old self and we see Dudley being the absolute worst stomping down the stairs closing the door on him just being like rude every step of the way um and I think as we go on in the series, we'll see that, at least in my opinion, it's not just that Dudley himself is is kind of the worst. It's like he's been brought up that way and it's like his view of the world is totally skewed. So not surprised, especially when he's young, um, that he's just treating Harry as, as poorly as he can. <laughs> then we see Harry cooking breakfast, which is interesting to me because... Harry and Dudley are supposed to be, I'm pretty sure, the same age, definitely right around the same age. And we see Harry cooking breakfast, but Dudley's being treated like a baby, (laughs) right? Like he, it's just so interesting. And I think it's, there's an opportunity here to talk about how the intersection of privilege and age and how age is not this concrete Uh, determinant of what someone is capable of at that age I think it very much depends on how they were brought up the privilege of their situation of whether they needed to grow up younger you know whether they need to be cooking breakfast at age 10 or whether they can be sitting there and counting all of their presents and asking for more presents right and I know we hear Dudley saying there's 36 gifts last year I had 37 and it's just the whole thing is very interesting as a family therapist and a marriage and family therapist looking at these dynamics is very interesting. It's almost like Petunia responds like a domestic violence survivor. And we see Vernon threatening to starve Harry if there's any funny business, which is literally like neglect and child abuse. So just a lot of not good things going on here. 
And then we move into the famous snake scene at the zoo. And I love how we see Harry really empathizing, right? And he's like, he's asleep. Like, he just wants to talk to the snake and, you know, Dudley moves on. But Harry just is having a full-on conversation with him. And to us, it sounds like he's speaking to him in English. But realistically, it's probably in parcel tongue. Um, and they have this conversation about being, you know, Harry sees the sign that says that the snake was bred in captivity. And Harry says, oh, that's me as well. I never knew my parents. And then the glass disappears, right? And we get the classic, thanks. <laughs> and Harry's reaction is just any time. And he looks happy. He doesn't look afraid. He doesn't look worried. He's just sort of like, okay, great. That snake can now go do, you know, what it's meant to be doing. And then the glass reappears. And Dudley is stuck inside. And Petunia screams like he's going to die. And again, it's just, it's just a cra it's craziness to watch the dynamics of this family. Um, I think they are a very well-developed family because they do feel really real given how like horrific they all are um, and how they are together, like their interactions together. But we then see Harry talking to Vernon and explaining, right? Like the one minute the glass was there, the next it wasn't. It was like it was magic. And Vernon says there's no such thing as magic. And this is when we start to see that it's starting to wear on him, <laughs> right? And then we see Dudley in this ridiculous outfit. I don't know if that's his school uniform or if just that's the outfit he's taking pictures in before he's getting ready to go to smeltings, but just the most ridiculous outfit and he just looks ridiculous. Um, and they all start mocking Harry because he thought he was going to get to go to smeltings. Meanwhile, we know, right, he's going to end up at a much better school. Um, but that's when they, you know, Vernon sends him to go get the post. And we see Harry's face when he realizes that there's a letter for him probably the first time in his life. And we then see the Dursleys' parents' faces when they see that it's the Hogwarts seal. And then, of course, we just have these, <laughs> these few minutes of ridiculousness of letters flying out of everywhere, letters coming out of the eggs that Petunia's cracking. And I didn't remember how tortured the Dudley parents or the Dursley parents seemed by these letters, but they clearly were, right? And then we get our famous no post on Sunday line, which is so funny to me. Like, why would he think that Hogwarts would follow the non-magical or muggle mail rules? Like, there's literally owls delivering these letters. They're surrounding your house. Like, why would they be following your standard rules? Um, but I love seeing Harry just jumping because he realizes, like, all he needs is one letter. Like, he doesn't need to catch a million of these. He just needs one. Um, and then, of course, that's when we see Vernon just lose it completely. And um, Dudley asks his mom, Daddy's gone mad, hasn't he? And, and Petunia's like, yes, he has. Um, and then I have no idea how they even found that little small island to go to to hide, but they do. Um, and this is where they're celebrating. Well, just Harry is celebrating his birthday. And so he makes himself a little fake you know, cake in the dirt, I think it is, or in the sand, and then blows out his wish. Um, and that's when Hagrid comes in right after Harry makes his wish. And I love here how we see just how visually intimidating Hagrid is, even though he's like the softest and safest person ever. Uh, it's like a great juxtaposition. I think I just think it's so well done. And you know, he thinks, <laughs> he thinks that Dudley is Harry and he's a little confused. And then you know, Harry says, no, I'm Harry. And Hagrid says, of course you are, right? And it's just this adorable moment where Harry doesn't really get it yet. But Hagrid knows, like, wow, you look just like your dad. Um, 
And I think he said, at least I think in the books, they say that this is his first birthday cake ever, right? And we're going to see this again later when he gets to the holidays in terms of presents. But um, we see Hagrid using quite a bit of magic, which he's not supposed to use to begin with, let alone in front of all of these muggles. Um, but he's starting a fire, right? He's obviously he gives Dudley a tail. Um, and I'm just thinking here of... If you haven't seen it, there is this ridiculous video from back in the day of using, pretending to use the audio of You're a Wizard Harry. Um, that is just an absolute, absolute classic. So if you don't know what I'm talking about and you want to send me a message and I will find it for you and I will send it because it is hilarious. And every time I watch this movie, that's what I think about. Um, but when Harry has that moment where he says, well, I'm just Harry, I think that's really relatable right? Like if someone told you right now that you have magical powers, would you believe them? Right? So just that moment of like, no, I'm just Harry, I think is super, super relatable. Um, and then he finally gets to read his letter and realize why, you know, what they've been trying to reach out to him for and why the Dursleys have been trying to keep it from him. And then we have Petunia talking about Lily. And it's so interesting to me because she's talking about how Lily is perfect. And she's saying, you know, we have a witch in the family and I was the only one to see her for what she really was, a freak, which is so cool because to me it implies that it was normal for muggles to think that being a witch was a good thing and to not just be afraid of it and to shun it or to think it was bad because it was different or that they didn't understand it fully. You know, only Petunia did. Um, so it kind of already from the start sets up that there were maybe two different types of people or two different ways of viewing the magical beings those who knew of them um but we then see Dudley sneaking the cake in the background and that's when uh, Hagrid ends up turning him into well just giving him a tail I don't think he turns him into a pig <laughs> um and it's all because he had they had insulted Albus Dumbledore in front of Hagrid so again that relationship between Hagrid and Dumbledore um but yeah quite a quite a bit of a bad first impression of magic in front of Harry, <laughs> which again, throughout the series, we see Harry uh, not quite following the rules and kind of doing what he thinks he can and should do rather than what he's been told he's supposed to be doing with his magic. And here, at least in my opinion, I think we maybe we can blame Hagrid a little bit because he's made it, he's made it that way. He's made it like there's not these very, very strict rules that you have to work within. It's just sort of like you get to do what you want because you have magic. Um, and I love here that at the end of this scene, Hagrid says, you know, we best be off unless you'd rather stay, of course, right? Because it's, it's these subtle little things where here Hagrid is giving Harry the choice to say no. And of course he's going to say yes, of course he wants to go. But there's something that we see, at least I've noticed over and over again with Hagrid is that the way that he talks to and treats Harry, Ron, Hermione, all the, the students, it's with this level of respect and understanding and being on equal footing that I think is really cool. Um, and so he gives him the choice. Of course, Harry's like, yeah, I'm coming with you. Um, and then we see them go and they're starting to go shopping. And so Hagrid gives Harry his shop, his school shopping list. And which I think, again, is really cool that he's treating him like he's independent and capable of reading through this list, which of course, Harry's like, what is all of this stuff, uh, right? And he says, can we find all of this in London? And Hagrid says, if we know where to, where to look, if we know where to go. Um, and Hagrid also here says something of, 
I'd love a dragon, you know, like that they're vastly misunderstood, which is a little bit of foreshadowing for what's coming. And then we see Harry in this bar and for the first time he realizes that he's a known figure, that people know who he is, that he's sort of famous. Um, and again, at this point, he still has no idea why, right? All these people are coming up to him almost like an adult and they're thanking him. And, and this is when he meets Professor Quirrell. And Harry says, but why am I famous, Hagrid? And Hagrid says, I'm not sure that I'm exactly the right person to tell you that. And we see Harry getting through, right? Hagrid does the magic on the bricks and they walk into Diagon Alley and Harry's face is just completely lit up. It's like he's in a new world. And we see them go to Gringotts and that's when Harry finds out that he's sort of rich, right? He has all this money that was left to him. Um, and Hagrid then brings him on this errand and he doesn't tell him what's going on. We later obviously find out that it's um, the Sorcerer's Stone. But that from the start, Harry's involved in things that he's not supposed to be involved in because of the adults in his life, right? Because of Hagrid, because of Dumbledore, because of McGonagall, because of Snape. All these different adults kind of put Harry in situations that maybe he shouldn't have had to have been in as a child. And he's had to hold a lot more, um, which again, I think adds to why he feels like he can do whatever he wants and not just feels like he can do whatever he wants, right? But more that it is his responsibility to follow his intuition and to do what it is that is needed of him. And we then see him getting his wand and it does seem like a very intuitive process of the wand choosing, which is pretty cool, um, right? And he's like, apparently not, definitely not. And then, you know, he says, ooh, I wonder, and pulls out the twin wand from Voldemort's wand. And as I was watching this, I was thinking, you know, it's pretty crazy to think that at this point in the movie, Harry still ha does not know about Voldemort. He doesn't know anything about him, <laughs> right? He thinks his parents maybe died in some sort of, you know, he had been told a car crash, some sort of accident. He knows he's sort of famous, but he has no idea why. He knows he has a scar on his head. <laughs> he doesn't know at all about Voldemort or any of it. Uh, so it's so interesting. Um, and again, interesting. I'm excited to read through the books again to see how it's done in the books versus in the movies. Because in the movies, I do think sometimes you miss out on that like underlying foundation of what is known by who. It just sort of is like you only get to, to see what you see visually in the movies. But then we move into the platform nine and three quarter scene. And this is, of course, when Harry finally meets Ron and all of the Weasleys. And it's interesting because, again, I was thinking that Percy is a much bigger character, at least from what I remember in the books, than he is in the movies. Um, and so we really don't get too much of Percy in the movies except for um, Order of the Phoenix, I think, is the one where he's a little bit bigger. But again, from what I remember, he was a much bigger character in the books. We see Fred and George, and they're obviously tricking their mom as they're running onto the platform. Um, and then we see Harry run on, and this is really kind of like the first time, other than when he popped into Diagon Alley for a little bit to shop. It's like he's really running into the magical world and into this like new life for himself. Um, and then we see Hermione. And I know for me, when I saw her, it was like another shock of, oh my goodness, she is so young. They're all so young. Um, and we see Malfoy. And Malfoy kind of makes a little plea to Harry that he should come over to his side and I love that Harry says, I think I can tell the wrong sword for myself, thanks. Like, right from the start, Harry knows that Malfoy is not his kind of guy and that Ron 
in all of his beautiful Weasley glory is definitely his type of person. And we then see them making their way into Hogwarts and they have their sorting hat ceremony. And I don't understand why Hermione Granger goes first because alphabetically H and G, neither of them is at the beginning of the alphabet. But for whatever reason, Hermione goes first um, and we see Harry's scar hurting and we think it's Snape, but it's really Quarrel, right? And so again, it's just really well done how um, even in the movies without the subtleties that you get in the books, they still were able to sneak these things in and it's kind of like those layers, right? So the first time that you watch the, the movie, if you haven't read the books, you maybe don't pick up on it, right? Because you don't know what's coming. But then when you do know what's coming, it's like you see more and more and more, which is so cool and just so well done. And then we see Harry getting sorted, right? And of course, that's when he says not Slytherin, which is interesting, right? To notice how quickly he picked up on what is quote unquote bad, and what he doesn't want to be a part of, right? It was kind of like, oh, if Malfoy is Slytherin, I don't want to be a part of that. It's not like Harry was going in saying Gryffindor, 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 right? It wasn't like he knew he wanted to be with his friends or that he knew he wanted to be in the house that his dad was in and his mom was in. It's more just he knew he did not want to be in the, the bad house, which again might be based on his upbringing by some of the worst people in the world. Um, and we then see them having a feast, in I think it's called the Grand Hall maybe of um of Hogwarts and here is where even though it's not the holidays it feels like the holidays right it's like they have these special hats it's a huge feast there's just this like general warmth there's candles everywhere and these family style meals that you eat with your house so I think there definitely is something about Hogwarts in general and about these movies that does feel like the holidays um but again, I don't really think of them as holiday movies. <laughs> um, and then we meet Nearly Headless Nick, which as I watched this, I was thinking, I don't feel like they talk about the ghosts nearly as much in the movies. And they don't talk about Peeves at all in the movies. And Peeves is a pretty big character in the books. So I'm excited to go back through and might reread and to really remember Peeves and to remember uh, all that is uh, that ridiculousness. Um, then we move on to the scene where... We have a classic line that we quote in my house all the time. <laughs> Give it here, Malfoy. <laughs> we say it all the time. And I totally thought that this was later on. If you had asked me which movie this was in, I would have guessed this was probably Prisoner of Azkaban. Like, I definitely thought it was much further on in the series. And I did not remember that it was about the Remember All and that this is how Harry ends up on the Quidditch team. So Harry is able to go catch the ball and McGonagall sees it and basically goes and tells Wood, who's the captain, about Harry. And that's when Harry finds out that his dad was also a seeker. They say it's in your blood. Um, and so we get to see some fun scenes of Harry kind of learning Quidditch and, and getting ready for it. And again, I was blown away at how young Harry looks. Um, but we then see our, our core three learning about Fluffy, the three-headed dog. And Hermione's explaining that it's, it must be guarding something. It's standing on a door right and that's when she says her I'm going to bed before either of you come up with another clever idea to get us killed or worse expelled <laughs> so good um there's just so many classic lines in this movie uh, that again it was just so fun to remember that just to see them so young and to be saying these classic things it was so fun um but then we see Harry learning like I said about Quidditch and he sees the golden snitch for the first time and says oh I like this ball <laughs> it's like of course you do um 
But we then move into the troll scene. And just before it, we see Ron making fun of Hermione in the Great Hall, right? And that's, you know, when she runs, ends up getting upset and running off. Um, and so from the start, we definitely see this dynamic between Ron and Hermione that, of course, we know if you've read through or if you've seen all the movies, you know they end up together. Um, but definitely from the start, there was a flirtatiousness that also lent itself to uh, maybe not always being so nice to each other. So Hermione goes and runs off. We find out there's a troll on the loose because Quirrell has let the troll out. Um, and Ron and Harry go to save her. Right. And so we see them, even though they are literally children, going off to go and save Hermione from this giant troll. And I love this rescue scene of Ron and her, um, Ron and Harry saving Hermione because it's it's a really good example of the duality, the both end. Right. They are so human and yet also so magical, so divine it's like they are realizing, they're starting to realize that they do have these powers and that they can use this magic, but they're still mostly relying on what their their humanness, right? They're they're jumping on the troll, they shove the wand up the troll's nose, as opposed to realizing if they had been paying attention maybe more and knew more of their spells, they could they have they have a lot more options, right? And so it's a really cute scene of them coming to the rescue and saving Hermione. And I love that McGonagall gives them five points for sheer dumb luck. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and then we move into the first Quidditch game. And again, I could not believe how little Harry looks. He's like a little, little kid. It was crazy and so adorable. Um, and as I was watching this, I was watching with my mom and I was trying to explain to her about Snape because she's seen some of the movies, but she hasn't seen all of them. She definitely hasn't read the book, so she doesn't know the backstory, right? And so she said something about Snape and I think my sister and I both sort of snapped at her like, excuse me, like Snape is, is wonderful. He's a beautiful character. And so I was trying to explain to her about Snape and not start crying as I'm watching this first Quidditch game. But after that, we move into... Finally, the holidays at Hogwarts scene. And again, I, I thought there really wasn't that much about the holidays. We do get our classic, Happy Christmas, Harry. Happy Christmas, Ron. Um, and they have their matching Christmas sweaters, which is so sweet from Molly Weasley, right? It's Harry totally doesn't think he's getting any presents. He's not expecting it. He's never gotten presents. And Ron says, well, it looks like you've got one too. And Harry says, I've got presents. And how sad, right, that he's never had a birthday cake, he's never had presents, and not because they didn't have the means to, but because they didn't want him to feel loved. It's so messed up, like really, really messed up. And so I think that's a big part of why Harry becomes so close with not just Ron, but all of the Weasleys, because the Weasleys are the opposite, like literally the epitome of warmth and love and closeness within families and connection. And, of course, Harry gets his invisibility cloak, which he goes, he uses to go into the library, into the restricted section at night. And what I want to know is, why is he holding his lamp outside of the invisibility cloak? And why is he taking the cloak off at any point? Like, obviously someone could see you, but anyway. Um, we then also see Harry see Snape confronting Quarrel while he has his cloak on. Um, and, of course, Snape we, well, Harry, and if you haven't seen the movie before, assume that Snape is the bad guy when really, of course, it's that Snape is, is confronting Quirrell, who is the bad guy. Um, 
but we then learn of the mirror of Erised. So it shows you what you most want to see, and they say it's very dangerous. And I think it's precious that Ron's desire is to be head boy and Quidditch captain, right? Knowing his family dynamics, knowing just knowing what we know about Ron, I think it's adorable that it's kind of like all he wants is to be good, you know? Um, and especially because he's not always very good in classes and things like that. And so I think it's adorable that that's really what matters to him most. Um, and we get a little insight into why he maybe is the way that he is. But yeah, I think overall the holidays are pretty subtle in the first movie. I'm excited to see how they are in the other movies and to see if maybe maybe there are other ones that are more holiday movies. But to me, if we were just going based off of Sorcerer's Stone, this is definitely not a holiday movie. This is definitely not a holiday series. We see a little bit, but really, you know, way more action, obviously, and, and magic than just holidays. Um, I love how Dumbledore assumes that Harry has figured out what the mirror does, you know, and he says it's your deepest and most desperate desires of your heart and that men have wasted away in front of it and even gone mad. And then we get this classic Dumbledore quote of, it does not do to dwell on dreams, Harry, and forget to live. And we then learn that Dumbledore is famous for his alchemy work with Nicholas Flamel. So, you know, as we start to see, I mean, especially once you've seen the whole series and if you've read the books, you see just how central Dumbledore is to all of it, to everything, right? Um, but we're starting to see it here that he's involved in the alchemy work and, and everything else. And I love how Hermione just says, honestly, don't you two read? Um, again, we see so much of just how intelligent Hermione is and not just, you know, that she's smart, but that she really is constantly creating new wisdom based on what she has learned and she's constantly applying it and integrating it in real time which is so cool to see and obviously we see that um, coming up soon in the ending right she's instrumental in uh, keeping them alive really through the end but we see the trio going to Hagrid to talk about Snape and um, how they think that Snape has stolen the stone and I really, again, appreciate how Hagrid takes them seriously and makes them feel heard and really makes them seem like they're equals to him. I think that's so special and, and so sweet. And this is when we learn of the dragon's egg, the Norwegian Ridgeback Norbert egg. Um, and yeah, that Hagrid has gotten his dragon. <laughs> and I just think that we we do not deserve Hagrid and his heart. He's just such a sweetie. Um, and then we see... Harry having to go into the Forbidden Forest and we meet Frenze and he says, Harry Potter, you must leave. You are known to many creatures and the forest is not safe at this time, especially for you. And I love that, again, having seen the movies and read the books, I love how you, you see the way that Harry needing to talk to Professor Dumbledore changes throughout the series. Um, especially as their relationship changes, right? And so in the beginning, it's a much more respectful asking to meet with him and, and all that. And by the end, he's just bursting in. He has the password. He's just bursting in and yelling at Dumbledore. So that's cool. It was cool to see him. Um, I think more recently, I had been watching a lot of the, the later movies. And so to go back to this first one and to watch him be so young and and so respectful and sort of timid and um, and to feel so separate from Dumbledore. Whereas by the end, Dumbledore is obviously one of, uh, Harry's closest uh, relationships. We then move in to 
kind of like their final challenge, right? The last few things that they have to get through. Um, really, again, to stay alive. It's it's interesting um, how, at least for me, I felt like as I, I rewatched this, I was trying to remember when I read the books if it felt like they thought they were going to die throughout it. And I, I definitely think there are certainly moments of that. Um, but so we first see them, right? And they're, they're leaving and Neville catches them and, and he says he won't let you um, or I won't let you. And that's when Hermione has to use Petrificus Totalis on him. Um, and we see them going through and they get through Fluffy and then they get to the Devil's Snare. And Hermione obviously gets right through <laughs> and explains to them they have to stop moving. They have to relax. I just think the fact that she, first of all, identifies it as Devil's Snare, remembers that the Devil's Snare hates sun, remembers the spell to bring in the sunlight and has the courage to do all of it and to stay calm doing it. Like Hermione is a true hero here. Um, and then, of course, Ron <laughs> tries to say, good thing I didn't panic. And Harry just immediately calls it out and says, good thing Hermione pays attention in herbology. I love how there's these moments. I know there's other moments as well where Harry is just, you know, unashamedly Hermione's like biggest fan <laughs> and just calls it out. And there's um, none of the like uh, feeling Com like competitive or needing to make himself look good it's just like no Hermione's amazing and I'm gonna shout it from the rooftops um and then we move into the game of wizard's chess which uh, is like Ron's shining moment right it's like he just trusts so hard and he really believes in Harry and the process and I think it's so cute that he chooses to be a knight right he doesn't want to be king he doesn't whatever he wants to be a knight um but here especially is it's like they're literally children playing to what they believe could be the death. <laughs> and Ron chooses to sacrifice himself again, like what he thinks he might be dying. And that's when he says the not me, not Hermione, you, Harry. Right. Like he's an 11 year old kid who thinks he's about to die and he's willing to do it because he knows that's what's right. And so these are their their true Gryffindor moments. Right. We're seeing it right in this first movie that they are all definitely uh, Gryffindors. When Ron falls to the ground and Hermione goes to move to save him, Harry reminds her they're still playing, right? And says, Ron's right. I have to move on. Um, and Harry then gets into the last part. I guess it's in the dungeons. And that's when he realizes that it's Quarrel. And I love how he's like, no, it can't be. Because he's literally like, Quarrel, you are weak AF. There's no way that you are the one who's been doing all of this. But of course, we know, um, you know, that Voldemort, it, it's Voldemort, it's not just Quirrell. Um, and of course, that Snape was on it the whole freaking time from the beginning, he knew and was trying to stop Quirrell if, uh, if only Harry had trusted Snape. But it's understandable that he doesn't. Um, yeah, that's a whole, I probably could do a whole episode just on Snape. Um, right, and we see Voldemort saying, use the boy, because he knows that there's something just kind of like inherently magical about Harry, which... I think it's really interesting because it's sort of like a question here of is he inherently magical because Voldemort's magic was transferred to him when he tried to kill him or because Lily's magic when she sacrificed herself to save him or does Harry just have something special on his own like was Harry destined to be a special magical wizard regardless of everything that had happened with Voldemort and his parents. Harry's face, though, when he realizes the stone is in his pocket, he's like, oh, shit, now I got to deal with this. Like, I was hoping that was not. And now here it is. And here we go. Um, but 
when Voldemort's head is revealed, I love that Harry just immediately calls him by his name. No shame, no fear. He just straight up says it. And, and we see this throughout the whole series, right? And Harry never refers to him as uh, he who will not be named. Like he just straight up calls him Voldemort. And we hear, right, this scene where Voldemort is trying to convince Harry to come to his side. And he's saying, you know, why stop me when you can join me? And he says, oh, bravery. Your parents had it too. Um, and he says, there's no good and evil. There's only power and those too weak to seek it. Um, and again, Harry just stands his ground and knows who he is. Doesn't know how he does it, but he somehow starts burning Quirrell's face away and just runs with it and basically just passes out and wakes up and he's in the infirmary <laughs> with Dumbledore. And they then have you know, one of these conversations, which come to be very common between the two of them, again, almost like equals. Um, and Dumbledore definitely always treated Harry like he was capable of a lot more than others probably would treat an 11 year old of. Um, but he says, what happened between you and Professor Quirrell in the dungeon is a complete secret. So naturally, everyone knows <laughs> with that classic Dumbledore humor, which is just so cute. Um but he explains that only a person who wanted the stone to find it but not use it would be able to get it. And that's why Harry was able to get the stone. And you see here that Harry thinks that this is it. Like this is he's done it. You know, he's defeated Voldemort. And little does he know it is just just beginning. Um, and Dumbledore explains that he couldn't touch Quirrell couldn't touch Voldemort because Harry's mom had sacrificed herself for him and so that's that love was very very powerful magic um <clears throat> and then once Harry is able to <laughs> he gets to go see his, his friends and he says oh y'all right there Ron y'all right Hermione and she says never better and we then see them getting their final points for the house cup right and we see Ron get points for the best played game of chess Hogwarts has seen in years, which was so, so cute. But of course, the most the most classic part of this when 10 points goes to Neville for standing up to his friends. And that is what wins it for Gryffindor to win the House Cup. And just such a wonderful way to round out the first movie with Hagrid giving Harry a handshake before he gives him a hug right again, just like that equality and seeing him as his equal. Um, and then ends with them riding off on the Hogwarts Express and the beautiful music that, again, just lights my heart up, at least every time I listen to it, um, before we move on to the second movie. So that is my overview of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And again, my opinion, this is not Harry, this is not a holiday movie <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. It is a pretty short, uh, amount of a holiday scene, even in the movie, um, but definitely a good time and would be fun to have some sort of Hogwarts holiday experience. I think that could be a super fun theme party that I'll have to talk to my sister about doing. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this. If you have ideas or if you would want to come on for a Harry Potter episode or some other episode, please reach out. We would love to hear from you. We are spiritually underscore ever after on Instagram and spiritually ever after on TikTok. And if you can leave a review and let us know what you think, that is very helpful. Again, if you have ideas for future episodes or if you'd like to be on, please reach out. But otherwise, we will see you real soon. 
thank you for being here and listening. If you loved it, leave a review and or share and tag me. I would love to connect with you. I'm spiritually underscore ever after on Instagram and spiritually ever after on TikTok. See you real soon.